It is time once again for another edition of Radio Free Acton. Hi, everybody. My name is Mark Vandermoss, and uh, I want to welcome you to the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. So good to have you along today on our final podcast uh, for the 2014 calendar year. We hope uh, that everyone uh, within reach of my voice has had a fantastic Christmas last week. Uh, we wish you a Merry Christmas belatedly. Hope you had a wonderful celebration with family or friends. And uh, we wish you as well a Happy New Year. As we're releasing this podcast, uh, the date is, of course, December 31st, 2014, New Year's Eve. And uh, a whole new year stands before us, uh, ready to be discovered. And we wish you the very best in 2015, a year of peace, prosperity, and happiness for you and your loved ones. It's, uh, it's our fondest wish for you here at the Acton Institute. Also, it's a, it's a significant year for us here at Acton because it represents our 25th anniversary year. Uh, it's been a quarter century since Father Robert Sirico and Chris Maurin founded this institution, which is dedicated to the promotion of a free and virtuous society characterized by individual liberty and sustained by religious principles. We're going to be celebrating that this year. We're going to have all of our major events as well. Acton University is gearing up. Uh, that, that'll be coming in June, our biggest event of the year, and we'll be covering all of that and bringing you lots of great podcasts in the new year. So for those of you who have joined us on this podcasting uh, journey this year, we thank you. We've had a great year of podcasting. We're hoping to ratchet it up a few more notches in 2015, so stay tuned. And uh, if you know some folks who might benefit from, from listening to Acton Podcasts, who might be interested in the stuff that we talk about, please send the link. Radio.acton.org uh, is our podcast archive page. And uh, you can also send them the link to blog.acton.org. The Acton Power Blog is a great place to go for daily news and commentary from an Acton perspective. One of the great things about the Acton building that we now uh, occupy here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, is that uh, when they put together the designs for the building, they included space for artwork. They actually included a gallery space in the building. Our gallery is called the Prince Brookhuysen Gallery. Uh, right here in the lower level of the Acton building. And we've had a lot of really good stuff come through there in the last year, everything from exhibitions by local artists uh, to uh, a presentation of art by Makoto Fujimura during the Art Prize event that happens yearly here in Grand Rapids. Mako was uh, gracious enough to send uh, over uh, originals of his work on the Four Holy Gospels, uh, a, a biblical illumination that he did for Crossway Books, a couple of years back, uh, as well as we, we were able to display his major artwork, uh, Walking on Water, as you write, in our lobby uh, as an entry in the art prize competition here. So we've had a lot of art that's come through our building, but I think that the most powerful artwork that we've displayed was actually in the form of an exhibition called Holodomor, Through the Eyes of a Child, The Famine Remembered. Uh, this was an exhibition of art created by Ukrainian children who were asked to go and research the Great Famine of the 1930s that took place in their country. Um, and not just any famine, but a famine intentionally inflicted on the Ukraine by Joseph Stalin and his Soviet government. Uh, they went back, researched, spoke with their elders who either lived through or had direct experience with people who lived through the Holodomor. Just just for reference, Holodomor is a Ukrainian term that means death by hunger or death by starvation. Uh, just a terrible concept and something that seems very foreign to those of us who live in a time of plenty. 
where where food really isn't something that we worry about all that much. Uh, and, and yet here is a whole nation starved. Millions died of starvation and the, the related problems that go along with that in the Ukraine in 1932 and 1933. Holodomor Through the Eyes of a Child was here in, in November, and the exhibit is the brainchild of a woman by the name of Luba Markevich, who is a board member of the Ukrainian Institute of Modern Art in Chicago, Illinois. And she uh, was here at Acton uh, speaking with Dr. Samuel Gregg, our director of research, uh, who was uh, gave sort of a history of the Soviet relationship with Ukraine and a history of the famine. Uh, Luba Markevich then came forward and described uh, her process of putting together the art exhibition that we were able to display here and talked about some of the, the just really powerful images that these children in the Ukraine put together in order to express what they had learned about Holodomor. Uh, my colleague Paul Edwards... Uh, one of the great things uh, that Paul has opportunity to do from time to time is to do some broadcasting in the Metro Detroit area on Faith Talk 1500 radio out there in, in Metro Detroit. And a couple of weeks ago, he was able to do an interview with Luba Markevich about Holodomor, about the uh, Holodomor Through the Eyes of a Child exhibition. And uh, Faith Talk 1500 has been gracious enough to allow us to Use this uh, interview audio and present it to you here on Radio Free Acted. So without further ado, I want to pass the microphone over to my colleague and friend, uh, Paul Edwards, who will be talking with Luba Markevich about Holodomor through the eyes of a child. The month of November this year marks uh, 25 years since the fall of the Berlin Wall. And who among us uh, does not remember the images of uh, East and West Germany once divided with families separated by an ominous border? And in East Germany, economically uh, stunted by communism's repression. And while the fall of the Iron Curtain is certainly worthy of recognition and celebration, November also marks another important event, which represents not the decline of communism, but rather one of its darkest and most horrendous hours. The Holodomor. You've heard of the Holocaust. But I would venture to guess that many in this audience have not heard of the Holodomor. It means death by hunger in the Ukrainian language. And it was the brutal man-made famine imposed on Ukraine in uh, the 1930s, actually uh, the winter between 1932 and 1933, by Joseph Stalin and his communist regime. It claimed almost 7 million Ukrainians. And though it has since been officially recognized as a genocide by over a dozen countries, including the United States, this tragic part of Ukrainian history remains largely unknown. Today is the 81st uh, annual International Holodomor Memorial Day. Uh, and in Ju uh, January of 2013, uh, it'll be two years ago this coming January, I stood uh, in uh, Kiev, Ukraine at the Holodomor Memorial. It is a moving experience. And if you ever have the opportunity uh, to go to Kiev, uh, I would put that at the top of my list of, of places to visit. I'm amazed that it was just uh, two years ago that I learned of this. I can't believe that it wasn't in my history books in high school and certainly not in my history books uh, in, in college. Uh, quite the significant event. Luba Markowitz is an ethnic Ukrainian. She's chair of the uh, Education Committee at Chicago's Ukrainian Institute of Modern Art, and she has worked to keep this part of history in the collective memory of contemporary Ukrainian, uh, Ukrainians, but she's also helping to keep it uh, in, uh, in our memory 
uh, through a special exhibit called uh, Holodomor, Through the Eyes of a Child, which is composed of 400 works of art from 12 cities and uh, over 20 schools. And joining me from Chicago is Luba Markowitz. And Luba, I'm glad you could make some time for us in Detroit this morning. Welcome. Yes, good morning, good morning. Uh, talk about why it is that we, we've never heard of this, uh, this horrendous event in human history. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's a sad um, point of view on the West's politics. Um, you know, during, uh, after the Second World War and during the war, America was allies with uh, Russia. And then afterwards, you know, the Cold War came about. Uh, the knowledge of what Stalin did in 1932-1933, where between 7 and 10 million people died, uh, was sort of um, not suppressed, but not put up. Um, and there were many, uh, for example, um, uh, journalists like Durante, who wrote, um, there's nothing, there's no famine. Where people in Kharkiv, in the city of Kharkiv and Kiev, people were dying on the street. Mm. People in eastern um, Ukraine, in Kharkiv, uh, from towns and villages, would take their children, their starving children, into the city of Kiev and just leave them on the street, hoping that somebody would pick them up and give them a better life. And um, it wasn't all. It wasn't until um, a conquest and maize writers, Americans, who began to write about that. And um, uh, Harvard of Despair came out in the 1980s that America began to see, and the West began to look at uh, this uh, thing that Stalin uh, did. And uh, I don't know, it, even now there are books, uh, socio-political books, that no, Stalin wasn't that bad. I, I have absolutely no no idea how anybody could write this. And uh, Stalin killed millions and millions and millions of people. And this whole demand, this genocide against Ukrainian people was a horrendous thing. You yeah. know, he took away, you know, as you know, when when, when you said that you said that the whole demand in Kiev, mm -hmm. I was there also many, many times. And uh, what struck me was that not only did between 7 and 10 million people die, but you also realized that there were no no generations, no heirs, mm. no people born after that. Mm. That's, that's an enormous uh, impact. And so um, I don't know if you want to segue into the uh, exhibit that I did, called the Mark to the Eyes of Children. Yeah, I, I do want to talk about that, but first, before I get to that, do you want, do you have any insight for our audience as to why Stalin and his uh, his colleagues and his regime would have instigated an intentional man made famine to to destroy, to take the lives in a systematic way of of Ukrainians? What was the issue? Well, the issue was that he did not want Ukrainians as a country. You know, Russia has always suppressed, that's even a nice word, suppressed, killed Ukrainians before. And he did not want uh, Ukraine as a country that would rise against Russia. So one way to do it is just to starve the people. And so that was his idea. So he took uh, to the grain, which obviously 
uh, Ukraine was called the breadbasket of Ukraine of Europe because there is so much uh, wheat and and grain that can grow in Ukraine. And his uh, policy was to eradicate uh, Ukrainians and uh, to starve them and to kill them, and therefore people would not rise up against the Stalin regime. And what, you know, monstrously better way than just to kill people. Are we seeing traces of that, Luba, in in uh, in how uh, Vladimir Putin is now uh, encroaching on, on uh, Ukraine's independence and uh, and moving in, in, into Ukraine? I certainly don't want to suggest that something as horrific as uh, the Holodomor may be repeated, but uh, it, it seems like Moscow, Russia, has always had this hostile attitude toward Ukraine. Very much so. Uh, you know, Ukraine can live without Russia, but Russia cannot live without Ukraine. It needs the wheat, it needs the um, uh, minerals that are in Ukraine, and now it needs the pipelines. And uh, Putin, uh, you know, thinks that he would like another Russian empire. I, I don't think he realizes, including in the 21st century. And now in Donetsk and Luhansk, um, there are hundreds and thousands of uh, uh, army personnel and army artillery and uh, heavy uh, tanks amassing, and yet he's telling the world no. And uh, this is a situation that is very serious. And if the world and the West does not begin to see what he's doing, um, uh, I'm afraid it will be a very... Uh, a very dangerous place because, you know, usually people think, oh, it's not near me, therefore it doesn't have anything to do with me. America is very far away. Mm. Well, Ukraine is next to Western Europe. Uh, Western Europe is across the pond, United States. And all of that will have a domino effect. And uh, as to the politics of what's going on now, uh, I hope um, it will be to to help Ukraine. Otherwise, it will be a very, very bad bloodbath. And, you know, that's, that's putting it mildly. Now, you know, say how many people have died. Over 4,000 uh, Ukrainians have died. Hmm. We're talking with Luba Markowitz. She is an ethnic Ukrainian. She's chair of the Education Committee at Chicago's Ukrainian Institute of Modern Art. Today is the... 81st uh, 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 the 81st anniversary of the the uh, Hol- uh, Holodomor Memorial uh, in uh, which commemorates between seven and ten million Ukrainians being systematically starved to death under the Stalin regime in 1932 to 1933. And and you, uh, Luba, back in 2008, became the project director for the Holodomor Through the Eyes of a Child. And, and anybody that's ever been to the Holodomor uh, Memorial, there's a young girl holding what appears to be some wheat or some grain uh, as you enter into the area uh, of the memorial, which seems fitting uh, because you have decided, you decided that, that we needed to see this event, this horrific event, through the eyes of a child. Why through the eyes of a child? You know, when uh, we were sitting at the Ukrainian Institute of Modern Art, at the Executive Committee, uh, a lot of things were being done, you know, adults. Uh, there was an opera, there was a, a Philharmonic 
piece written. Um, adults were giving speeches. But I thought that uh, it is not done through um, a new generation. And for the new generation to have to have understanding of that and to be able to um, put it into their mind and into their soul and see it, it's not going to continue. So my idea was to go back to Ukraine, and I visited like 12 cities and 40 schools, and I brought back 400 pieces of artwork. And I, I began, and, um, you know, in the beginning, people were saying, well, Ukraine is free. Why do you want to bring up something so frightening? Well, because one has to, because it cannot be repeated again. Yeah. And every frightening thing needs to be pulled out and needs to be shown. So when I did it through the eyes of a child, those young people went to their great-grandparents, some of them. Uh, some of them went to friends of friends who have even survivors, and they did interviews. And through that came this enormous project of how children perceive Holdemar, how they uh, begin to understand how horrendous that is, and how, I don't want to say lucky, blessed they are that they are alive, because so many of their great-great-grandparents the great uh, parents' progeny, heirs, are not alive. Next, sitting in, in in a classroom next to them, and they are the ones who need to carry the thought, the the idea, the souls of all those young children that died. And uh, as from what we know from statistics, and you know, they were not kept very closely. But from what we know, children were the ones who died the most. Mm. So, and so, so, when, so, so when you when you go to these schools, twelve cities, more than twenty schools across Ukraine, what? And you ask for art from these children uh, to to kind of get their sense of of what they know about the the, the Holodomor. What are they, what are they giving you? What kind of art are they giving to you? Superb. I mean, if you can put what I put up in Acton in uh, Grand Rapids, uh, the artwork is absolutely superb. Their understanding of what uh, of what Holdemore means, of what the you know that girl holding four shafts of wheat, you could get killed if you had four shafts of wheat. Mm. And uh, their understanding of that and uh, the images that they did, uh, they're horrendous of uh, uh, burials of children, of uh, uh, the wheat being taken away from, from the houses. The frightening thing is, and later on, uh, of uh, eating not only your pets, but anything that flies or crawls. In fact, there is something, you know, in every such frightening thing, there's macabre, I don't want to say humor, but macabre literature. And there's a cookbook, a Holdemore cookbook, on how to survive with nettles, with grubs, with worms, with bark of trees, Mm. frightening things. Mm. And the young kids interviewed the people who lived through that, and the artwork is absolutely stupendous. It's, it's, um, uh, right now, I'm in the process of, if you have and if your audience uh, is interested in, I would like for you very much to um, 
write uh, to me and I could bring that artwork to whoever is interested in because it is really, really powerful. You, you brought and, it, you mentioned that you brought it to the Acton Institute in, in Grand Rapids, and in the interest of full disclosure, it should be noted that I am the radio broadcast consultant for the Acton Institute, a, a title I proudly wear. But I, I happen to be in, uh, in Turkey, in Istanbul, Turkey, when your exhibit was in Grand Rapids. I would have loved to, to have seen it. But, but I'm assuming, Luba, you're taking this exhibit to various places. What has been the response to, to this exhibit? Uh, because it, it seems that, that Americans especially want to put up a shield when it comes to horrific events uh, of, of history. Uh, how has your exhibit kind of helped to break through uh, that kind of wall where we kind of put up a, a, a psychological defense against things that we find reprehensible? Well, because I tell, I tell both of my uh, high school students that come, the fact that for you, for Americans, freedom is like breathing air. But that's not true for other people. And uh, across the globe and in, in other places in the world and in Ukraine, it wasn't like that. And they need to know that because they need to be thankful for what they have. And they have to be the carriers of the tragedy, especially for the children, of their peers. That something like this will never happen again. And uh, it is. It is very powerful. And uh, audience who see that, see that, and it has that impact. And therefore, I would be very much interested if uh, in your audience or you uh, can give me contacts where I can bring that uh, exhibit to other places. Oh, I, I, I'm certainly happy to help you in that in that regard, and we'll do that uh, certainly off the air. But I would say to anyone in this audience, particularly school teachers, school administrators, uh, even homeschool parents, uh, you need to get in touch with uh, with uh, Luba Markowitz and, and see this exhibit because it, it is something... I mean, we hear about the Holocaust, but we we do not hear about the Holodomor. Uh, we just don't, uh, and and it is as significant event uh, in human history uh, as was the Holocaust. I certainly don't want to downplay the significance of the Holocaust, but uh, the, the 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 horrendous nature of both uh, is certainly uh, is certainly evident. Uh, and uh, Luba is uh, is uh, chair of the education committee at Chicago's Ukrainian Institute of Modern Art. Is there is there an easy way for for our audience to be able to get in touch with you? Yes, if you can uh, write to me as Luba Markiewicz, uh my whole name uh, at yahoo dot com. Very. Uh, the, this, we will. Uh, with your permission, Please. we will post your uh, your email address at our at our Please. web page and our Facebook page, uh-huh. so that uh, so uh-huh. that our audience can can uh, can get in can uh, can get in touch with you. Now, beyond this this uh, uh, Holodomor through the eyes of a child, in October of 2012, you hosted an exhibit at the uh, at the Ukrainian Institute of Modern Art called "Artists Respond to Genocide," which featured depictions not only of the Holodomor but genocides around the world. What is that project about, and why is it significant? Well, we decided at the Ukrainian Cinematic that we would like other. So we had uh, from Rwanda, uh, from uh, Pol Pot, we had from the Armenians. We had also political repressions from Southern, uh, South America um, and photographs of people who were um, put into prison for speaking out. 
and uh, that also was very um, moving and had a great impact. And there was one from um, an artist from uh, Mexico who uh, talked about other Holodomors, and he had a um, like a totem, but the totem was all of uh, skulls. And um, uh, the writing on there was that the explanation was that uh, through media, you know, we're so inured to seeing um, violence on television uh, that doesn't mean anything. You know, I mean, 30 minutes uh, and one sitcom and next week the the guy is up again and Mm. as well as he was before. Right. But this is real. These are real human beings being tortured, killed for an idea, for a belief. And um, another one talked about friends. You know how we uh, throw around the word, oh, Facebook friend? What friend? A friend is a human being for whom you can give your life for, Mm. to be tortured for, for a belief, and for him not to get caught and not to find out. So this exhibit was very powerful. And... uh, it it uh, you know was all encompassing, and it also had um, the Holocaust. It also had artists that spoke about uh, the fact that uh, regimes pick certain groups of people to eradicate them from the face of the earth for one reason or another, and the cruelty of that. So, yes, that, that exhibit was extremely powerful. When we go back to uh, uh, your exhibit, Holodomor, Through the Eyes of a Child, you, you seem very passionate about this. You don't seem very passionate about it. You are very passionate about it. Is there something from your own experience, Luba, that uh, that, that causes you to uh, to want to get this message out? Yeah, well, I, I was born in Lviv, and my parents uh, and my brother, we uh, my father was called... Uh, to uh, it was at that time Germany not occupied to appear at the headquarters and so we took a train and we left to a town a small town in in Rio outside of the city of Rio but with the intent of coming back but the war you know you see very many war movies but it's not it's not exactly the same you know and so uh, people traveled all over Europe trying to go back to whatever country or whatever city they lived in, but because the railroads were bombed out, there were no rail tracks, you couldn't come back. So, yes, my life, my childhood is the Second World War. And um, that impact, uh, and the fact that I lived through it, gives me um, a point of view on life and how um, precious it is Mm. and how one has to remind people that are sort of, um, I don't want to jar them out of their safety, nor young people, but they do have to realize how thankful they have to be that they're not somewhere else, like now. They're not somewhere in Syria in a camp. Mm. They're not being killed in any of other countries in, in, in the East. And they do have to be appreciative of that. And uh, no matter how frightening something like that is, it does happen. I mean, for me, you know, having lived through the Second World War, 
for example, you know, how people talk about food, you know, what kind of food, you know, oh, I like salad, I like this, I like that. For me, there was never a question of what food I like. It was whether there was food or not. Mm-hmm. So that sort of um, hones you to a, a special appreciation of life on this planet and uh, what you have to do to the generations that didn't live, and you owe it to them. Hmm. You're in Chicago now. Do you do you get back to Kiev and to uh, to Ukraine to home very often? Yes, yes. I'm this year. I was there three times, and uh, I've been uh, to Ukraine every summer since 1991, and I both uh, teach at universities and give seminars and uh, teach English as a second language at the Ukrainian uh, Catholic University in Lviv. And I have contact with various schools. And now this third uh, project that I just did now, and the opening will be December 7th in the Ukrainian Center of Modern Art, was, um, I believe, that intergenerational. I would like grandchildren to speak to their grandparents about the life that is disappearing and what would the grandparents like to tell their grandchildren of the riches of uh, ethnic traditions in Ukraine. So that's my new, my new project. Well, you know, Ukraine and the Ukrainian people, especially the people of Kiev and the Chernobyl zone, have a very, uh, very close a place in my heart. Uh, I travel there frequently and uh, I wasn't able to go last summer because of all of the uh, all of the uh, political disruption that's going on in Kiev, but I, I certainly hope to get back. And, and Luba, I, I hope that you and I will have uh, a, a long-term relationship beyond just this conversation because uh, I, I think that that uh, we could be kindred spirits in so many ways when it comes to our love for your native land. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you. 